type of creation. He's the background in which all things are created and the ruling sovereignty over all creation. This Jesus, he, he created all things through him and for him. Uh, a, little, a little background about me. I, uh, uh, my, my bachelor's degree was in photography. Uh, and we would have these fine art shows where we'd have to create pieces. And um, when these pieces would be hung up on the wall, uh, they would also have a name. A little nameplate that would go beside it and it would say, Russ Billow, what this piece is about and, and um, when it was created. And so that was to let the people know because now some of that artwork still uh, stays with my professors. And every time they have an art show, some of this artwork goes up onto the wall. Now I'm not there physically, but my artwork is there. And this is to show uh, some of this, this stuff, this, this artwork that's up on the walls. It's to show who created these things. That little nameplate lets people know who created it and why they created it. Because the creator has the final say in how those things should be used. How those things should be, where they should be, and, and what they are for. Paul's point here is that Jesus is the sovereign creator over all things. He reigns over all things. That's why Jesus has the power to look at the winds and the waves and say, peace, be still. That's why the demons and the man at the garrisons pleaded with this sovereign Lord not to send them away. And that's exactly why Jesus has the authority to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. Jesus is Lord over all creation. We also see that he's the, the goal of creation. All things were created through him, and for him. All things were created for his glory. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. Paul uses three prepositions here. Everything was created by him. All things have been created through him and for him. And I like how Warren Wiersbe says this. I'm going to read this quote to you. Paul uses three different prepositions and is one way of refuting the philosophy of false teachers. For centuries, Greek philosophers had taught that everything needed a primary cause, an instrumental cause, and a final cause. The primary cause is the plan, the instrumental cause is the power, and the final cause is the purpose. And when it comes to creation, Jesus is the primary cause. He planned it. Jesus is the instrumental cause. He produced it and he is the final cause. He did it for his own pleasure. See, this Jesus is Lord over all creation. Not only does he maintain the stars, the cosmos, the suns, the planets, all of these things. God himself, Jesus himself sustains us. That every breath we take is a gift from this creator. And that's proof that every breath we take should be worship back to him. That in all things that we would praise and that we would adore him. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. And that's why Jesus demands a response from us. Paul's message is clear. Only Jesus can be Lord of all creation. So first, he's Lord of creation and moving down almost like the neck of a bottle. It says that he is the Lord of the church. Look at verses 18 to 20 now. 
And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is imagery that you often see in the New Testament, that the the church is a a functioning body. If we, the church, and, and not just Simmons Grove here today, not my church at Salem Baptist just down the road, but every believer is a part of the church. The body of Christ. This, this, this church, it means people who have been called out. Friends, we have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are not just churchgoers. We are a part of his body. If you are, if you are saved, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, then you are a part of his body. And as a part of his body, we should put Christ first. See, Jesus can't just be one of the priorities of our life. Jesus should be because he deserves to be our number one priority. See, if Jesus reigns as ruler, as Lord over all of creation, how much more does he deserve to be Lord of our own lives? Yeah, I think we would all say, yeah, that sounds good. I would agree with that. But practically... Our hearts are idol factories. I know that personally, coming from my, from my, my own personal life, that I struggle with that. And I think that we don't think that we have idols such as little gold statues that we sit on our shelves, but our friends, our spouses, our children, our jobs, success can be idols in our life. Every day I wake up and I pray that God would prevent me from idolizing my family before him. Or position or success. Or even popularity. Only Jesus deserves first place in my heart. What about in the church? I think... That it's really tempting for us as believers to look back. Man, the, the good things that we used to do. Or we used to do this. And we used to have a, a, a great Easter presentation. Or a, a big play. Or, or a great VBS. And it's easy for us to look back on the past. But we forget about what's coming. Friends, do we look at the pictures on the wall that we so often that we forget to look out the window and see our community? Are we so focused on the past of, of our successes that we, that we used to be this or we used to do that, that that we forget what God is about to do? I, I don't want to knock our history at all. Because I believe that God does great things and we should look back and we should celebrate. But those things that we look back on should be a launching point for us to say, well, let's keep going. Let's keep making Jesus famous in our lives. We want to say, look at what God did. But we should also be saying, look at what God will do. And I praise God. I 
Only Jesus can be the head of the church. He is first in creation because he made it. He is the first in the church because he saved it. All of this has a goal. That he is preeminent or he is first. My son loves to be first. Anybody feel that? Anybody agree? My son loves to be first and it can be anything. And uh, maybe this is wrong, but my wife and I, Leah, we have kind of used that against him now. Like who can pick up the toys first or who can get changed first? Who can put their pajamas on for, for bedtime first? And that's really the only way to mo- motivate him sometimes because he wants to be first. He longs to be first. And friends, I think that maybe we might even look inside of ourselves and say, I'm not, I'm not a three-year-old anymore, but I still have that mentality sometimes that I want to be first in my life. I want to be successful. I want to have a lot of things. I want to have a lot of popularity. Friends, only Jesus deserves to be first. That he might be preeminent. Some people think that the, Col- the Colossians view Jesus as only uh, one of many emanations of God. But Paul is pointing here to a greater truth. Jesus is preeminent over all things. Jesus is greater. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. God's glory dwells in the person of Jesus and through Jesus, all things are reconciled. I love that word. I love that word because I think back on the way my mom used to discipline me and my sister Um, maybe this will be a hint, uh, for you if you're looking to parent, but my mom, when me and my sister would fight, she would put us in a big t-shirt, one t-shirt together. And until we quit fighting, we, we had to stay in that shirt. My mom was the reconciler there. She was the one who initiated us to make up, to agree. And in that same way, similarly that Jesus is the reconciliation God sent his son and the blood of Jesus on the cross is what reconciled us back to God. That mean that word means to compound a difference. It's often used in, in currency, uh, but it can also mean in, in a type of relationship. See friends, we were once enemies of God. And I love that song once an enemy now seated at your table. Because he reconciled us back to himself. Christ stepped in and his blood shed on the cross reconciled us to God. This is a gift, friends. This is a gift given to us. And that's hard for us to to imagine because we live in a world, in, in a culture that says, earn your keep. Get ahead. Be the best. Step on whoever it takes to step on so that you can get ahead. Earn your way. But Jesus says, I am the way. See, Jesus is the only way. 
This is a gift given because we receive it. We are the ones who broke relationship. And no other religion does that. No other religion do you have God coming down to us. But he came to us and he reconciled us. And I struggle with that. Even today, I struggle to find that peace, that this mentality that, that I have to do something to earn God's favor. But there's, there's nothing I can do to earn it, that he has given it to me. We're not wooing God. We're not trying to impress him with our, our glit and our glamour. We're not trying to, to say, God, look at me, look at me, look at what I can do. He is the one who comes to us. He reconciled us. The blood of Jesus has brought peace to us. So first, he's Lord of creation, and then he is Lord of the church, and finally, he is Lord of the Christian. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he, he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul reminds them who they once were. You were enemies of God. You were alienated. You were hostile in your mind. You were wicked, friends. Is that encouraging on a Sunday morning in the new year? That This idea that we were estranged from God. Yet he sought us out. See, see, look at that correlation. You were once enemies, but now you're friend. You were once alienated, but now you are here. You were once practicing evil deeds, but now we are reconciled. We are holy. We are blameless. We are above reproach. What a beautiful picture of what the gospel does in our lives. Share just a little bit about my story. I grew up in a small town called Beckley, West Virginia, and uh, my dad was uh, nominally a Catholic. And what I mean by that is he didn't really practice. He didn't go to church. He got married in the Catholic church, and uh, he never went to mass or anything, but he wanted to atone for the rough life that he lived. And so he sent me and my sister to Christian school. And so from four years old, I went to Christian school and I learned all the Bible verses and I learned all the right things to do. And I worked hard. I worked hard to be the best. I worked hard to impress. But when I got home, I was miserable. Fast forward to my teenage years and it just got worse and worse where I was living a lie. I was active in my youth group. I was active in Bible club. I played on our worship praise team. But when I got home, I was miserable because I didn't know truly who I was. I was trying to be the atonement for my own sins. I was trying to do enough good. I was trying to be righteous before God. And the more and more I failed, the more miserable I became. And I look back on my life and I see, I see this, this turning point. I was 17 years old. 
And I was fed up. I was living two or three or probably ten different lives, depending on who I was around. But there was this turning point in a basketball gym in Beckley, West Virginia, where God finally just opened my eyes. And for that, everything changed. In that moment, everything changed for me. I realized that I had been trying to do something that I was not meant to do, that I could not do. I was trying to be righteous before God on my own behalf. And it wasn't audible, but it was clear as day. And I remember it. That it was like God was saying, stop trying. You were living different lives, but you were not living for me. This face, this mask that you put on in front of your youth group friends or in Bible club or wherever you go, that's not enough. Now, if we leave it at that, (laughs) I'm mortified, but Christ revealed himself. And I realized that I had been trying to do something that only Christ could do. That's the day that everything changed for me. And I look back and I recognize what a powerful God we have. That he stepped in and redeemed me. Friends, we are not meant to save ourselves. Friends, we cannot be righteous apart from God. We were enemies of God and he reconciles us. Look at verse 23 again. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. This language, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, is reminiscent of Jesus' parable of the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the wise man who built his house on the rock. See, the hope that we have been given, if our foundation, if our hope is on Jesus Christ alone, then we will not fail. We will not falter. And that if... It's not saying that, hey, if you're good, if you continue to be good, then you're not going to lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying here. Paul's saying, if you are truly saved, if you have built your life on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, then you will continue in the faith. You will continue through trials and hardships. You will continue. And it might be hard. But if our foundation is on Christ, we cannot sink. You will persevere. We are not saved, friends, by continuing in the faith, but we continue in the faith because we are saved. We have a God who came to us. That is our sure hope. That's our foundation. And friends, that's my hope for you too. If we can survive this year and the last year that that we have endured, and I think about that song, that we sang, the only way we can say that it is well with my soul is if Christ is on the throne of our lives. Christ rules over creation. Christ reigns over the church. But does he rule in your life? I know he rules in mine. But I can't make that decision for you. Your pastor cannot make that decision for you. Will you trust in Christ 
is, I heard a pastor say it like this once, is Christ useful to you or is he lovely to you? Is Christ first in your life? And if we think about this practically, how does this look in light of COVID, in light of sickness, in light of whatever trial or, or disaster we face in this world? What does this look like? I don't, I don't believe that Jesus was caught off guard. In fact, I have to believe that, that this God who is sovereign over our lives truly has a plan For all of these things, that he is concerned not for our comfort, but for our righteousness. It's easy to take a back seat in our faith, friends. It's easy to come to church and give in an offering plate and uh, donate. and, And every now and then we volunteer for something, but... Christ is worth so much more than that. I could have spent my whole life faking it. But Christ became real to me. And I pray that he is real to you. I pray that he is Lord of not only creation and the church, but that he is Lord over your life. See, this discourse on the preeminence of Jesus isn't just to fill us with knowledge. It's to fill us with worship. That we would glory in the fact and the truth and the hope that Jesus is greater than all things. Does Jesus rule every area of your life? I hope and pray that he does. I can't say that your life will be perfect. I can't say that your life will be comfortable. But I can say that this Christ will be with you. And you will have a hope beyond all hope. And this Christ who takes care of us. If there's something that's standing in the way, is it worth it? Is it worth it to remove these things so that Christ can rule in our lives? Is it worth it to pluck idols out of our lives so that he can rule in our lives? Let's pray. Father, We love you, Father. We love you so much and we're so grateful, Lord, that you are the one who intervenes in our life. And Father, I pray for this church. They are dear to my heart. I don't know many of them, but God, I know that these are people who have been called out, out of darkness into your light. And Lord, if there is someone who has not yet been pulled out of darkness, God, I pray that you would help them to see today, Lord, that Jesus is greater Jesus is greater than every sickness. Jesus is greater than every temptation. And Jesus is greater than every thing that we could lay our hands on. And so, Father, I pray that you would call us out. That you would set us up. That you would help us to trust and adore you with our whole lives. We love you, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.